0: You're listening to the
1: RSA Conference Podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this installment of our RSAC 365 podcast series. We have a great podcast lined up for you today. Here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now, I'd like to ask the FBI's Cyber Division Deputy Assistant Director, Herb Stapleton, to take a moment to introduce himself before we dive into today's topic.
0: Hello, uh, I'm Herb Stapleton. I am the Deputy Assistant Director responsible for all cyber investigations uh, here in the Federal Bureau of Investigation.
1: And we are thrilled to have you. And today we're talking with the Deputy Assistant Director about the FBI's recently released IC3 report. And the report indicates a significant spike in complaints received over the past five years with the greatest jump in fishing, vishing, smishing, and farming, coming in at just under 20,000 complaints in 2016 and more than 241,000 complaints in 2020 how does this spike relate to new trends you are seeing, and what about these new trends and old tricks has been most surprising and most concerning to you?
0: Well, thank you for the question. You know, obviously, an increase in volume at that level is extremely concerning to the FBI. We certainly never want to see an increase at all, much less one of that uh, of that particular magnitude. So from our perspective, one of the things that we were certainly concerned about as we moved into the global pandemic is that as people transition to um, more time on keyboards, more uh, remote working, and just in the overall COVID-19 environment, that that would lead to an overall increase in cybercrime. And unfortunately, that particular concern has definitely borne itself out uh, in the statistics that we see. So, um, you know, as a result, you know, obviously the phishing, vishing, and smishing campaigns uh, can be easier to uh, launch, particularly if a phishing campaign can be easier to launch in a COVID-19 environment where more people are working online. Uh, Also, I think that the COVID-19 pandemic, um, vaccines that have been rolled out, the government stimulus and small business loan programs that have been rolled out also provide, you know, more uh, context or more fodder for potential scams that can be perpetrated online. And so while we can't uh, necessarily say from our data that there is a direct causation there, we've certainly seen a correlation between um, the volume of these types of complaints that we've seen and the timing of the beginning of the global pandemic.
1: And I noted also in the report that most of the IC3 complaints this year related to, as you mentioned, the CARES Act fraud. Um, they involved grant fraud, loan fraud, phishing for personally identifiable information. And complaints have been filed from citizens in several states describing fraudulently submitted online unemployment insurance claims using their identities. I'm quoting from the report here, many victims of this identity theft scheme did not know they had been targeted until they attempted to file their own legitimate claim for unemployment insurance benefits, which is all really unfortunate. The report also quotes FBI Section Chiefs Stephen Merrill, Financial Crimes Section. And he said, unfortunately, criminals are very opportunistic. They see a vulnerable population out there and they can prey upon them. But this is nothing new. So I'm wondering, how could federal agencies have better prepared for the payment rollout of the CARES Act and better protected against these crimes and better educated citizens to be aware of them?
0: So we don't always know the exact type of scams that will come out before they do. So I see the FBI as having um, a couple of really important roles here. One of them is to try to warn in advance as much as possible um, what types of scams we expect to see. You know, in this particular instance, when we talk about Heirs Act fraud, uh, loan fraud, phishing scams, you mentioned that it's nothing new, and and that's true. You know, we've seen... Uh, this type of activity with other major um, disasters or, uh, you know, incidents around the world. Think of like a hurricane or an earthquake. We always see these kinds of themed frauds come out uh, during that type of incident, unfortunately, with the idea of sort of preying upon vulnerable people. I think the difference in this situation is that um, whereas that Type of natural disaster that I referred to before can be more localized or regionalized, while very tragic, it does not have the global impact that a global pandemic has. And so as a result, people all across the United States really fall more into that vulnerable category versus a more localized impact. And so we always need to focus on communication with the public in these types of incidents, um, and that's what we do through the Internet Crime Complaint Center on uh, IC3.gov. We uh, focus our efforts on both trying to warn about what might happen, and then also when we discover that these schemes are ongoing, um, we frequently publish updates about what type of scams we're seeing, and so warning about, um, you know, specific things to look out for in emails. Um Unfortunately, Despite those efforts, there will always be this type of uh, fraud, and, and sometimes people will, unfortunately, be victimized by this type of fraud. And so that's the, you know, I mentioned two things that the FBI is responsible for. That, that's where the other part of our responsibility comes in. Um, when those warnings uh, are not sufficient or when people fail to heed those warnings or, uh, for whatever reason, do fall victim, then it's important that we investigate and bring to justice the people responsible for that. Um, which is something we've been heavily focused on related to many of these types of uh, COVID-19-themed frauds.
1: Mm. Which you can't do unless the citizens are reporting those crimes. So it's super important to have this complaint center where victims of scams can go and give you the information that you need to you know, conduct those investigations and hopefully bring these criminals to justice.
0: Um, That's exactly right, and I think just one small point that's worth adding um, related to the idea of having a place to report these frauds, you know, many of these frauds are relatively small amounts, uh, particularly the loan frauds. Um, Some of them are very large amounts, but some of them in the whole scheme of the economy are very small amounts, but they're not small amounts to the victims. And uh, that's why it's mm -hmm. important to have a place where all those crimes can be reported and We can find links between these individual smaller frauds, which, when added up, really amount to a huge economic impact.
1: Right. And even not even true victims that have actually lost um, any funds at all, but even the attempt at a fraud is really important to report as well, right?
0: Yes, that's right. And, And we get many reports about phishing schemes or other fraud that where people did not, in fact, suffer any loss, but they're reporting that. And we can find important details or information in that that might help lead us to the ultimate perpetrators. Excellent.
1: So speaking of perpetrators, what trends are you seeing in business email compromise and ransomware attacks? For those that work in the fraud field, BEC is kind of old hat, right? Like we've been talking about this forever. But in many ways, it's the issue we seem to have never been able to solve, much like passwords. Uh, So the pandemic has certainly given flight to a whole lot of crafty work here for um, BEC attacks. Why haven't we been able to crack this nut, and what will it take?
0: You know, you're absolutely right that BEC has been around for a long time. Um, We have seen those attacks evolve over time, and I think... Um, this particular year, the pandemic was certainly a contributor to the BEC activity that we've seen. Um, I think one of the reasons that the that the BEC issue is so difficult uh, is because in those types of scams, the criminals are able to make themselves look like trusted partners or agents. They are, they're able to make themselves appear as if they are actually a trusted party that um, an innocent business is used to conducting business with so maybe they look like a vendor um, or someone else that they have done work with in the past. and so as a result of that, sometimes in our communications over email, our guard is down and so when we when we see something that looks like it comes from a legitimate source, um, we're very ready you know to kind of complete that transaction And then this past year we've seen more people, conducting business online or through email than when we might have seen that happening in person or otherwise in the past. So that that's another contributing factor. So from the FBI's perspective, I don't know that crime, that, that this type of fraud is necessarily um, something that we can solve. Again, I think people are always going to attempt frauds and sometimes they'll be successful, but we can solve cases um, and so that, that has been our approach to BEC, to, number one, try to warn people that this is a thing that you should be concerned about. It has a huge economic impact. It's sort of uh, all around us. Um, how you can sort of be on the lookout for that, what kind of indicators you might look for to see that, you know, maybe something doesn't quite seem right with a transaction that you are uh, negotiating with someone who looks like a trusted vendor and then to work with partners in private industry and then with our law enforcement partners uh, and our partners overseas um, to bring people responsible for BECs to justice. And we've had a number um, over the past year and even before of significant arrests in the BEC realm. Unfortunately, there are still people out there who are perpetrating this, but we have sought out justice for our victims in those particular cases. And then the last thing I'll mention that I think has been um, you know, a very successful effort with respect to BEC, although not, again, not a hundred percent solution, is our recovery asset team that is run out of the uh, FBI IC3. And, and that particular team is really focused on forging partnerships with financial institutions to attempt to stop illicit transactions before they go to overseas actors. And so if a victim reports a possible BEC, case to the IC3 in time, uh, sometimes early in that particular cycle, we can contact financial institutions and work with those financial institutions to see that that money does not actually get transferred overseas. And ultimately, that money can be returned um, to the victims. And so that's another way that we, outside of sort of normal, regular uh, law enforcement channels, that we try to work with the private sector um, maybe we didn't prevent the fraud, but if we can prevent the loss, that certainly is a win.
1: So, you know, just thinking about the evolution of the E C, and, you know, I'm assuming that we're not really seeing the high volumes of the Nigerian princes eager to give us money anymore, and it really has become, like you said, that um, it seems like it's a trusted source, and, you know, is that the market difference that you saw in 2020 when it comes to BEC attempts, and do you have any inclination of how these types of fraud might continue to evolve?
0: Yes, that's a great observation. You know, uh, the IC3 just celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, last spring, and, um, you know, when we look at the type of email-based social engineering complaints that we got Predominantly in the early years of the IC3, you talked about the Nigerian prints, but there are a number of variations on that theme. When you compare the text and how those particular frauds were set up to the modern-day BEC, the the difference is really stark. You know, often in the early days you would see awkward English, um, uh, awkward wording, um, and it would be very easy to kind of pick out that uh, that particular email was coming from a source that um, maybe was not what it claimed to be. In the modern business email compromise, typically the English and grammar is very, very good. There is frequently uh, research or, you know, studying done by the actors to kind of determine, you know, what would be persuasive. And so the names of actual people within a company are used. You know, it might be the name of an officer in the company or the name of someone Uh, who works in the accounting part of the company. Um, And then, as I mentioned before, those emails uh, appear to come typically from a legitimate vendor that that business uh, works with. And so from the standpoint of the victim, you're not looking at sort of this difficult-to-believe kind of pretext that comes in broken or unusually worded English. You're looking at a a well-crafted email message that appears to come from a trusted source and refers directly to you as, uh, as an employee of the company um, by name. And so as a result of that, it's much more difficult to defend against that um, from a victim standpoint um, than it might have been from some of those older emails that you were referring to, which, by the way, we still do get complaints about. I think they um, are not nearly as successful now you know, through years of messaging and and prevention, those particular types of messages are not as successful now as they might have been in the early days. But the the scammers and the fraudsters still find uh, continuing ways to evolve their tactics to make them more effective.
1: I just want to switch a little bit and talk about ransomware and the FBI's guidance on don't pay ransomware. It's a significant issue for many organizations, and I'm wondering if that stance and guidance is at odds with some requirements from insurance companies and corporate boards who maybe are considering paying. What are your thoughts, sir? I
0: don't think our guidance is at odds with um, with those requirements. We recognize that a victim, who falls prey to a ransomware is in an incredibly difficult situation from a business standpoint. Um, the FBI's guidance not to pay ransomware is really just rooted um, in what we know about how these cyber criminal groups operate. Um, and in many instances, the most sophisticated of these groups who run the most sophisticated ransomware operations, they operate themselves like businesses who are in the business of extorting and stealing and conducting other criminal activity. And so as a result of that, you have to look at every ransomware payment like an infusion of capital into this illegal business. And like any other business, what are they going to do with that capital? Some of that goes to, you know, pay the employees, if you will, and uh, pay the bills, the overhead of the business. But it also is invested back into their illegal business model to make them more effective at victimizing other groups. And so as a result of that, as a law enforcement agency, I don't think the FBI can reasonably take any other position but that um, we should not pay ransoms. That being said, I really want to kind of debunk a myth that I think is um, out there in the business community in particular, that uh, if you decide that you're going to pay a ransom, that you should not work with law enforcement or you should not report that to law enforcement. And that is just simply not the case. We may need that evidence that you hold in your hands, uh, regardless of what decision you make as a business, working with your corporate board or your insurance company. Uh, We still wanna work with those entities. They're still victims of a crime no matter um, what their decision is. It's a highly complex area. But just suffice it to say that the FBI cyber division is focused on protecting the rights of victims and their privacy and confidentiality, and we want to continue to to work with them regardless of whether they feel that they can follow our guidance uh, not to pay the ransom or not. And uh, you know, I just I would close that up by saying we know that some businesses do pay the ransom. Uh, we also know that many do not, and so there there is a choice there that's available.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, and I think that's important messaging for organizations to really understand because, to your point, they are in quite a predicament, right? And it's one thing to recognize the capital that goes into that ransomware organization and benefits them, but then, you know, the, the struggle of the business side of what are they able to do with their organization if they don't provide that capital, right? And so it is a very, you're, they're stuck between a cactus and a prickly thing and uh, have a tough decision to make. So I think your uh, debunking that myth is really important. I want to switch again. The report talked about identity theft, and it's been pretty steadily increasing threefold this year. Can you talk us through what you're seeing there and what you expect to see in the coming year?
0: So, that's a really interesting topic. You know, obviously, the Internet Crime Complaint Center is set up to receive complaints about crimes perpetrated on the Internet. And so, I think one of the things that we can likely tie that increase to is the uh, amount of increased volume that we see in people transacting business over the Internet. You know, for many months and maybe still to this day people who would have maybe bought their groceries or bought uh, other things in person in a store are using the internet to transact that business now there are you know many secure ways to transact business over the internet so i don't mean to suggest that you can't do that securely and obviously there are many you know trusted uh, websites and and places where you can safely buy your goods but um... You know, the terminology that we use sometimes for that is just attack surface. You know, there's just a larger volume of transactions and things going on that provide those open doors or opportunities to um, people who would um, steal identities. And then you add that to the sort of new possibilities for people who would send phishing emails or other ways to basically harvest PII or credentials and so that, unfortunately, 2020 was a bit of a boom for uh, opportunity for identity thieves. Um, you know, the second part of your question was, what do we expect to see in the coming year? And so I, th- I think that's going to be an interesting thing to observe from a trend standpoint. And what we hope, obviously, is that as the pandemic subsides, people start to go back to um, more normal life, uh, if that is, in fact, uh, the direction that it goes that we will see a decrease in the numbers that we've seen in 2020. But I think that, you know, remains uncertain. You know, people, um, if people continue to predominantly transact business on the internet at the volume that we've seen in 2020, we're going to need to work really hard together as a society to see that um, security procedures are followed, that people are not providing, you know, personally identifiable information to uh, suspicious uh, websites or in response to phishing emails you know it's a it's an educational process that needs to occur and that people need to be sort of constantly reminded because we do get very comfortable in our habits and sometimes uh, being comfortable can lead to complacency when it comes to protecting your personal information online
1: indeed yeah so to that end, what is the top piece of advice that you would give to individuals as well as to organizations?
0: It's hard to pick just one, but, you know, I, I think the most important thing is uh, to be cautious about clicking on links uh, or files that you find in an email. You know, we talked about phishing a little earlier in our conversation, and phishing really still remains Um, one of the top, if not the top, uh, method that we see leading to, you know, loss in uh, cyber criminal activity. A phishing email can be a vehicle for collecting PII. It can be a vehicle for an actor gaining access to your networks. It can be a vehicle that's used to facilitate a business email compromise or even a vehicle that's used to drop our ransomware. And so, you know, that one particular vector is a really significant way that cyber criminals do their business. So I think, you know, fishing awareness, training of um, employees and individuals remaining vigilant about what they are clicking on would probably be the number one piece of advice. You know, there's a lot of complex scams out there, But, um, you know, following the very simple cyber hygiene practices and cybersecurity practices that you can find at IC3.gov or at other, you know, trusted cybersecurity consumer websites, that's really the best advice. Doing the simple things right will really help us prevent a lot of the type of uh, cybercrime that we see today.
1: And is that where listeners can go to download the report IC3.gov?
0: That's correct, www.ic3.gov.
1: Excellent. DAD Stapleton, thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise with our audience today. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC, and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. Also, subscribe to the RSAC podcast on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app, and stay tuned for our next podcast interested in being a guest on our podcast, visit rsiconference.com to learn how to become a contributor. Thank you so much.